The great comparative literature and mythology professor Joseph Campbell once said, follow your bliss and don't be afraid. And doors will open where you did not know they were going to be. The spirit of the podcast is to learn how former Wego Wildcats followed their bliss and for us to get inspired and learn from their stories. Welcome to Wego Places. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at West Chicago High School since 2001. Today's guest is Neil Luca from the class of 2008. Neil graduated from DePaul University with a BA in digital cinema. While at DePaul, he did an independent study with the director, Thomas O'Haver. Currently, Neil works for U.S. Helicopters as a helicopter photographer. The company contracts with several news stations, such as NBC, CBS, Fox, WGN, and with ABC, he has a permanent position. Joining us today is Neil Luca from the class of 2008. Neil, what do you do? Hey, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, and my official title is uh, camera operator for a news helicopter. How does one go from West Chicago to then become a photographer or a cameraman for a help news helicopter? Uh, really, it's just all uh, a series of mistakes and coincidences. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, if you knew me back in high school, you knew I was super big into uh, video production. I always wrote and directed and acted and edited and skipped class to make We Go Through the Tubes. Um, I hope that's still going on because I had a blast in that class. I took it three times. Um, mm -hmm. So I started off with that and I knew I wanted to do media, video stuff. So I went to College of DuPage and sort of got my gen eds going. And um, after that, uh, I sort of had like a little college crisis where, you know, I was apprehensive and scared to go into the media world. But I just said, whatever, I could keep going to school if it doesn't work out. So I went to DePaul University and I studied digital cinema. I got my uh, BA in that. And uh, as soon as I got out of school, um, basically three months afterwards, I got my job. By coincidence, uh, my aunt was talking to my now boss at a Geneva High School soccer game. And she said, hey, my nephew needs a job. Uh, you have any openings? And luckily they did. Um, and that's basically history. It's been five years now. I, I do remember that some of your filmmaking was really great. You made a beautiful documentary with your brother. Could you talk about that? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I've been, I had an idea to do a documentary with my brother who uh, has autism and a variety of other afflictions such as obsessive compulsive disorder, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I've always wanted to make it and uh, I just didn't trust in my own abilities enough to make it in high school. I didn't have enough knowledge or prowess in filmmaking. So once I started going to DePaul and taking documentary classes and other filmmaking classes and learning story structure and, you know, how audience reacts to certain things, then I started, you know, building up steam and starting to put this idea into fruition. I started networking with my, my peers at school and, uh, I got a small group of people together and, uh, at DePaul, they actually award you grants if you submit an idea and it passes, you know, certain standards. We ended up getting, I think, close to $5,000 a cash and then also use of equipment, which is 
quantity or the price of that is immeasurable. Just renting equipment for, I think we did for two or three weeks at a time, would have set us back probably, you know, thirty or forty thousand dollars. So uh, we did a two-week road trip. Was the whole premise of the documentary, and you sort of intercut that with interviews, uh, trying to tell the story or really answer the question of whether or not I'd be able to take care of my brother Dave when we're older, and the sense of urgency. Uh, it had a sense of urgency because our mom is uh, has chronic meningitis, which means she gets spinal meningitis over and over and over again. She's had it at least eight times. And uh, it's where basically the shingles virus has broken the, the blood-brain barrier. And uh, it, it it's pretty rare. Only a handful of people have it in the United States. So we did this two-week-long road trip. We went all the way to California and then back to uh, – uh, Illinois stopped making pit stops along the way with things that Dave has never done or has always wanted to do. He's the, at that point in time, he was pretty, pretty obsessed with being a paranormal investigator. So we went down to Missouri to, uh, Jefferson city, uh, penitentiary. And we did an overnight ghost hunting adventure where we tried to conjure the spirits and capture them on film or audio. And that was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be at the same time is, Super exhausting. How do you arrange the the trip to go to the penitentiary? Do they allow you to stay overnight? Is it something you have to rent? How does that work? Yeah, they've actually filmed a couple different paranormal investigating shows there. Um, and on their website, you can book tours. And, you know, I think it was a thousand bucks for an overnight stay with a guide. And the guide claimed to be a paranormal investigator as well. So, you know, we used part of that grant money that we received to uh you know put the bill for that and we're there from 10 p.m to uh, probably earlier than that like 9 p.m to 9 a.m the next morning so what's your favorite process of making that film obviously it was such a labor of love to make this film uh for your brother with your brother and all that but in terms of the creative element how much is it the storyboarding, the editing, or uh, any other kind of process in making that documentary? What's what is your uh, favorite part of it? Uh, if and maybe the maybe you love all of it. Um, you know, obviously the experience of going on that road trip was you know one in a lifetime type of thing. But if I were to separate myself from the ex- being experiencing that and put my you know put on the shoes of being a director. Uh, I really like the editing process. Uh, it's I had to trudge through, you know, four terabytes of footage and audio and, you know, take all these interviews that we had. And, you know, first I laid the story chronologically. And then I started trying to find, you know, parallels in our experience to parallels in our life. So, for example... When we were almost at the border of Illinois, Pittsfield, Illinois, I remember, we hit a deer. And so I sort of mirrored that section of our trip with the revelation that my mom and dad have of my brother having autism. Wow, what a, what a, what an interesting series of serendipitous moments to be able to make those analogies, you know, as you're going through that process of editing and be able to find those kind of parallels. 
how do you, is that just something that you have an intuition for, or is that just something that you kind of noticed in terms of the pattern recognition of, because you've seen so many films and documentaries, how does that, how do those things uh, coalesce? I think it's kind of a little bit of both, you know, you, when you go to school and I apologize for not being a better high school student, I was in, in, at DePaul, I was a great student. Every single class was interesting and I, you know, put forth the effort and I learned a lot of these things because I really wanted to learn them and I had fun learning it. Uh, you know, so I learned that thing, you know, though that sort of, I learned to build my intuition, I guess I, you could say. And then when you're listening to these interviews over and over and over again, it sort of becomes second nature of like, what's the theme of this? What's the theme of this? What's the theme of this? And then you finally find your piece of video or audio and that you just know that this, these two were meant for each other and nothing in my archives would match as well as this does. Now, did you, have you made any other films uh, since that one? Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, so as soon, three months after school, right around when I got my job, we had our, our firstborn son, Sawyer, who's now five. Um, and then, you know, just recently Sloan. So that's sort of gotten in the way of my filmmaking, actual, you know, production stuff. However, I continue to brainstorm ideas and write and you know, other creative outlets. Uh, you know, I, I, I try to get my hands dirty in that way. So let's get into your, uh, your current job as well. How do you, you, what's the schedule like for, uh, the helicopter cameraman? Like, so how do you, is it the same time or do you go by when they need you? Or are you there every day ready to go? How, how does, how does, what's the day, what's the day in the life of a helicopter cameraman like? So it's not a typical nine to five. Uh, it can be. Um, but the way my schedule works out with my peer is basically I work Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I do one shift on Wednesday and double shifts on Thursday and Friday, which is 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. I'm at the hangar. And uh, on every other weekend, I'm considered on call. And on those double days, you ha basically have two scheduled flights. In the morning, it's takeoff by 5.30 and then you land just after 7.15. That's if something big is not happening. On our helicopter, we have like three hours worth of fuel. So you could be up till 8 o'clock, 8.30 even. And then in the afternoon, we it's the same thing. Schedule flight right at 3.45, and we're up till about 5.15, pending nothing breaking happening. So where's the hangar at? Uh, it's at Schaumburg airport, which is right off of Irving park road. If you've ever eaten at pilot Pete's, if that rings a bell, that's right where we are. Just a little bit, uh, east of there. So you go to certain stories. So for example, a couple of weeks ago, you and I had, had mentioned in our texts back and forth that you had to, uh, go up to the, that, that factory explosion up in Waukegan. Do you, are you up in the air? tracing traffic patterns or do you go to any other type of story where they need you? How, how, how do you get dispatched while you're up in the air? Right. So that's a good question. In the mornings, we're pretty much strictly traffic based um, as well as like other breaking news, but that doesn't typically happen very often. Like a big fire during the winter time is pretty typical. Um, so in the morning we're doing traffic, traffic, you know, accidents, uh, just regular old delays, 
and I'll throw in a couple of beauty shots of the city with the sun rising in the background. But in the afternoon, we do what uh, I call cruise for news. A lot of the time, we don't have any scheduled assignments, uh, just a couple of weather hits. But a lot of the times, they do want us to gather a couple of different clips of B-roll from this place or that for different people's stories, anywhere from you know the investigative pieces to just regular old you know high school walkouts or or anything like that. Anything you can think of, we probably covered. So how do you decide uh, when to, let's say, collect B-roll or something like that? Like if that is that a – would that be a, like a slow day for that? Uh, no, it's just whatever the particular needs are of the reporters are. Uh, we or I report to uh, the assignment desk, and the assignment desk basically dispatches cameramen and reporters to different events happening around the Chicago the Chicago metropolitan area. So if they're doing a piece on like, oh, uh, if a lot of hazmat situations are happening recently, or they about a year ago, a lot of train accidents happened that were carrying hazardous materials. So they did an investigative piece on train yards and what are being carried in there and what how it could affect the surrounding neighborhood's health if something did happen. So we did some B-roll of that and, it, and, and sort of showed in conjunction how close in proximity it was to the city and surrounding neighborhoods. What's the range? Uh, you said that you were up in the air for uh, roughly, let's say, two and a half, three hours. How far... Do you, would you typically uh, travel in, in the helicopter? Oh, most of the time we stay strictly in city limits of Chicago. Uh, a lot of times we are going to, you know, the western, northern, or southern suburbs as far north as, you know, Zion and the state line, uh, even further north into uh, Wisconsin if need be. Hasn't really happened that much. Uh, we'll go to DeKalb occasionally and then it's south. Joliet south of there. I just went to Starved Rock the other week. Uh, we couldn't send in our signal at that. We lost our, you know, how far we can send our signal to the receive sites. But, you know, we, they almost sent us to Galena or uh, to Springfield one time uh, after a, a shooting in Rockford occurred and he ran from the police. What? Uh, you must see such incredible things because you were at a perspective that no one is. And you are uh, constantly moving around at different heights. Uh, what are some of your best memories of just things that are just jaw just, I know it's hard to probably describe it, but uh, are, that are just jaw dropping beauty. Yeah. It's actually, I have to remind myself that this is a really cool job and people don't get to see this. And, you know, I try not to get jaded. A lot of not a lot of people, but some people do get jaded of the, you know, the grind of traffic. Traffic's not that interesting to look at. But for example, we went down to Joliet and I had to learn and, you know, through some research online that they had a World War II armory down there where they made, you know, bombs. And they basically had a rail system uh, where they would, after they made the bombs, they would storm in these howit hole type bunkers. That was really cool. Uh, and out in the, the lakefront in Indiana, we did this in the middle of winter. It was that super cold winter, I think 2013 or 2014, where like a ton of Lake Michigan had frozen up. And we were just cruising for news that afternoon. And, you know, you mentioned altitude. 
sometimes what really gets my heart racing, not when we're so high, is when we're so low. And we did it this really cool uh, cruise on the lakefront with all this, these ice dams built up. And I just did this camera shot looking straight down and then a slow tilt up look in front of us to show all these dunes and the lake. And that was really, really memorable. But I always, I always take pictures when we're, you know, sitting 500 feet above the top of the antennas of Sears tower that always, you know, gets me excited and nothing can compare to that skyline. That is just, that is so cool. So, what is your favorite part of the job? Oh, that's a, I, I really like when I can sh- give the news desk or, you know, the producers or directors a shot without them asking and it piques their interest. And then like, they say, Oh yeah, I really like that. We're going to use that. That's, that's sort of how I have the most fun. And uh, like with this one shot, we were, almost directly over the bean cloud gate in millennium park looking straight down at it. And you, if you look close enough, you could see a reflection in it. And I did a slow zoom out to reveal all the people surrounding it, taking pictures and ice skating at the time. That was really cool. I would imagine for some people, the fear of being in a helicopter would be almost too much was that something that you had to that you got used to, or, or did you already did you have a fearlessness about that? When did you lose that? May not necessarily lose your fear, but when did uh, how did you become confident in being in uh, in this this very unique space? Oh, I think I'm going to preface my answer with being high up in a helicopter. For some reason, is different from being high up in a skyscraper. It doesn't feel the same. You feel more, you know this is going to sound crazy, but you feel more solid, uh, like less, less, less scared. Definitely. I've been up in a tall skyscraper and looked out the window and just got the heebie jeebies, but (laughs) being up there is really no big deal. And, you know, I needed the job at the time because my wife was a couple months pregnant. So I had to get over what fears I had quick, but my first flight, my first time in a helicopter, I was doing a ride along and, (laughs) the pilot has to tap on one of the gauges in order to get it to work. That's when I was like, what did I get myself into? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. If he's like, don't worry about that. (laughs) We still joke about it. Um, And actually I try to educate myself as much as possible. People know at work that I'm the guy with a million questions, uh, especially the pilots and uh, one of the three mechanics we have there. Uh, I like to learn how the machine works, you know, and I like to learn what the emergency emergency procedures are for certain situations like an engine failure or, you know, any one of the many things that could happen while in flight. Uh, <clears throat> so the more I educate myself, the more comfortable I feel, especially because I do pop quizzes on the pilots when we're flying. I said, hey, if we have an engine failure, where would you land? Blah, 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 stuff like that. <laughs> and it takes them by <laughs> surprise. And, and they just let they know that I'm keeping them on their toes. and. Uh, I'll call them out if they didn't do something correctly. I don't think they like that, but I, you know, it's, it's sort of fun for me. Now, do you have a, a, a set list of pilots? I mean, are there only a, a certain amount that you work with, uh, in, in terms of who's available? Is it like only the same four pilots or how does that work? Typically we have, uh, two pilots per program. I don't, 
work for the news station. I work for U.S. Helicopters, Inc., who uh, basically puts contracts up for bid. So we have three news programs. Uh, I work for ABC, or I do that program. And then we have WGN, as well as CBS. I started off on NBC, but they went to a different company. And uh, I made a move over to ABC. And so, yeah, typically two pilots per program. And um, I have filled in for the other ones. So I've flown with almost every other pilot we have. And, and, you know, I know and have confidence in pretty much all of their abilities. Neil, what from a from just the craft of what you do? What's the type of like advice that you would give for someone who is a photographer and is videoing? If you could give like a bit of advice when someone's uh, using, I mean, obviously no one's going to be up in a, a helicopter the way that you are. But in terms of just video advice, um, what advice would you give uh, for that craft? Uh, you know, I think it's put in the hours, put in the practice, uh, educate yourself as much as possible. Uh, when I did video, I felt pretty confident in my abilities to make a good picture, to frame up, you know, the shot nicely. Uh, but then once you get in the air, it's a sort of a different story, but, you know, sort of know what you want before you have to go do it. Everything. I used to be super unorganized and, you know, all over the place and, you know, try to, fly by the seat of my pants. I still do that now, but way less than I used to. And, you know, since I started preparing myself more, doing a little research uh, on things before we get to them, like, for example, we're doing this, uh, Terrell Brown, the morning anchor for the morning news, is doing this, these big, you know, basically it's like he gives a couple clues and then you have to guess where he is in Chicago and what skyscraper he's at. So I like to, you know, and then the helicopter does the big reveal of what skyscraper he's on top of. So I like to research where we are, you know, what we're, where we should shoot from, where he's going to be, what, you know, are any buildings going to get in our way from sending our signal or from, you know, just be, is it like, where should we set up for safe, safety wise? So preparing yourself, I think, is a huge key. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting to know like what the learning curve of that must have been because when you're the f- first time up in the uh, helicopter, I mean, you wouldn't know what the dead zones are of where your signal would be weakest and, and all that. So it's a, it's an interesting. How long would you say that it took you to kind of feel that you were really comfortable in your skin of of being a seasoned and uh, would you call yourself a veteran cameraman at this point? Uh, I think I would. I'm definitely top two. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, top two of the cameramen on our program, which is two of, um, yeah, I think it took me, so there's a lot to gather. Like you have to, first of all, you have to learn your cardinal directions and, you know, with the lake being the East, you know, that's, that's generally pretty easy to pick up, but then you got to learn highways and, you know, side streets and tollways and like. You use landmarks to sort of navigate yourself around because as a camera operator, you're also helping navigate. Um, so it took me about a year and a half to really feel comfortable and know what I'm doing because not only you're getting your shot up, you're sort of navigating to help your pilot find where it is. Once you get to the general area, you got to find the location. You got to make sure your signal is set up and it's strong. You got to make sure you're looking at the right spot on the street and then uh, you got to make sure your picture is nice and 
and then hopefully you're in time to tell the story. Uh, and then if something happens, like your signal is bad or you can't, where they told you the spot is, isn't where the spot is. You also have to troubleshoot while up in the air and operating camera at the same time. So it That's took me so about cool. a year and a half to get all those things working at once and talking to the news desk and talking to the producers of the show who don't know that they're talking to you at the same time, as well as the pilot talking to you. So, uh, yeah, multitasking is a, is a huge key. And it took me a while to learn how to multitask, uh, and not sweat profusely because I'm stressed out so much. <laughs> <laughs> True. Neil, you've been so generous with your time. And I was wondering if you could leave us with just some pearls of wisdom or advice to current Wildcats that would love to know how you found your way to such a cool job and career. Oh, man, pearls of wisdom. I don't think I'm that old yet. But I will say this. When I went to school, uh, even starting from high school, uh, you know, I knew what I wanted to do. and I didn't know exactly how to get there. And what I'm doing now isn't exactly what I saw myself doing when I was that young, but I'm still really happy while I'm doing it. And, you know, just because you have this goal set in mind, just if you take a right turn or a left turn, where you end up doesn't make it any better or any worse than what you wanted. Uh, It's just a different adventure. And I'm having a blast up in the air. And uh, I think... If you find the fun in what you do, you can make it fun. Awesome. Neil, thank you so much for your time today. It was really great catching up with you. And this was so neat to hear uh, uh, the story of such a unique and exciting career. This was a really great conversation. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much. And if you, uh, I'm just going to plug my Instagram, uh, Neil Luka, N-E-I-L-U-K. You can look at all my chopper photos or my cute kids. Probably you'll like the kids more. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for listening to We Go Places. If you know of a great guest for this podcast, send me an email at b-t-u-r-n-b-a-u-g-h at d94.org. Music provided by Joe Villacat.